have a question because I, so I'm a junior in college right now and I love writing. I love writing about stuff I'm thinking about, stuff I'm learning, environmental issues. I love specifically um, learning about technology and social media and how that affects us and how that affects our psychology and stuff. Um, but I just finished listening to your podcast. It's one of your older podcasts. Um, you reading an article you wrote for some online um, publication or magazine about um, psychedelics in medicine in the current day. And I thought it was really good. And I'm just curious, how do you get, as a writer yourself, how do you get um, monthly, bi-monthly jobs where you publish on a current schedule? Thank you for sending that in, Caroline. To answer your question, here's what I would do if I were you. I would look up a local media outlet, one that you like. I would find the name of their editor or one of their staff writers, and I would pitch them on a story that you know a lot about, um, a story that you have access to, and one that is timely. So let's say your dad is a fisherman and there's something interesting happening uh, down at the harbor and you have access to fishermen, pitch them on that story. Uh, it's also good if you have access to a photographer and if you can provide the magazine with uh, images, they'll be more li likely to buy it. The reason that I said go to a local media outlet um, or, or just don't try and go too big is because the chances of the local media outlet getting back to you are much higher. And I'll tell you, writing pays absolute shit until you get really good at it. I write for three different magazines and I get paid total shit, but I have really good editors. And the way that I see it is that the, the point uh, is to be, become a better writer because that skill is so transferable throughout your life. You can, you can do so much with it. Um, so I know that it's really important for me to become a good writer and I'm willing to do that. Um, and as long as you can find an editor that cares about you and is willing to read your work and help you get better, then it's, it's almost worth it to do it for free. Um, because you'll just get so much better, so much faster um, if you have more questions, uh, I'd be happy to answer them for you. And I hope that that helps get you on your way. There are a lot of good resources online, um, that are sample pitch emails. If you haven't done that before, the main thing, um, in a pitch is to keep it brief and show them that you're a good writer in the email. The email should be as well crafted as your writing is. Um, and maybe attach a sample photo if you have access to that. Hope it's helpful. Guys, how are you out there? Um, hope you are faring the storm. If you are here in California, I'm loving it. I have some big news. The Motherfucker Awards videos are now live. This was the biggest project I've ever embarked on, and it took a 
village to make it come to fruition, and they are finally up. For those of you who don't know, over the past uh, few months, I've been working on a big project with my buddy Chris Ryan, um, where we celebrate the companies that have done the most to fuck Mother Earth. And we threw this huge comedy show with famous comedians um, who accepted these awards on behalf of the companies that have done the most to fuck Mother Earth. Um, Guys like Moshe Kasher and Natasha Legero and um, Simon Rex, and we got well-known journalists like Matt Taibbi from Rolling Stone to present the awards. It was just, it was a blast. I'm really proud of it. Um, and I think that, um, look, environmental issues can be depressing. And my whole goal in this is to um, create more corporate accountability through comedy and I think that we really have a choice um, when it comes to all this depressing stuff, how we want to respond. And I choose not to get res- depressed. I choose to laugh at it and laugh at them and celebrate all of the destruction that all these companies are causing. So check out the videos um, on themotherfuckerawards.com that's where you can share them i would really appreciate it if you do and you can also follow this whole campaign that we're doing on instagram called the selfie salute challenge so next time you see one of our winners logos out in the world whether that be chase bank who is the number one financier of tar sands energy or pg and e which was responsible for 17 of the last 21 wildfires in california Um, or any of the others, if you see their logo out in the world, take a selfie um, or just a photo of their logo and give them the salute with your middle finger and post that photo on Instagram and congratulate the company for all of their hard work to fuck Mother Earth and tag the company and tag Motherfucker Awards directly in the photo. And if you do that, you will automatically be entered into a giveaway where you could win a Traeger wood-fired grill or a Patagonia wetsuit. And I'm giving out a couple of these things. Once again, all you need to do to be entered is find one of these motherfuckers' logos out around your town, flip them off, take a photo, post it on Instagram, and tag at Motherfucker Awards as well as the company directly in the photo. And you could have a Traeger grill or a Patagonia wetsuit sent to your house. That's how much I love our winners and want them to feel fully acknowledged for their hard work. Some of you may already know this, but my dumbass snapped my arm the other day while learning how to kite surf. And I just got uh, out of surgery a few days ago, and I'm on the mend. So I'm okay. But I wanted to send a massive shout out to our first sponsor, which is Santa Cruz Medicinals, because their vape pen has been a goddamn lifeline for me over the past few nights. I never had used many um, vape pens and had never really used much CBD before I started working with Santa Cruz Medicinals. And I only talk about products on this podcast that I have used already. Um, And the reason I hadn't talked about their vape pen is because I hadn't used it yet. But I snapped my arm and this thing has been so helpful for me. It doesn't get me high, but it it helps so much with the pain 
like I have metal in my arm and screws through my bone right now. And I've been able to wean myself off of these nasty painkillers very quickly. And I think that a big reason for that is because of the help of this CBD vape pen. They make all kinds of CBD products, um, CBD coconut oil, CBD olive oil, which I put in salads, um, and the vape pen, which is fucking great for me because I have a broken arm and it hurts. And it's so silly that some of these products are still illegal in certain states in the United States. It's just for people who live in chronic pain, man, I, uh, that's one that just pisses me off that they can't have access to this kind of stuff. But for those of you who do, for those of you who live in one of the more forward thinking states, uh, check it out scmedicinals.com and get yourself one. Also want to send a huge shout out to Mudwater. Mudwater makes chai masala tea and it's freaking amazing. I don't even want to call it tea. It's, it's this brown chunky powder that looks dirty and you mix it up and it tastes like goddamn gold. It's amazing. It has, uh, all these good uh, smart mushrooms in it, chai, masala, lion's mane, it's got cacao in it. My buddy Shane uh, developed this blend on his own. He was the art director for the Motherfucker Awards, and uh, he's one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. And he, he gave me one of these things a few months ago. He's like, dude, check this out. It's called mud water. I'm like, this stuff looks gross. And I drank it, and I'm like, hmm. It's actually, it's, it's good. It's not sweet. It has this kind of earthy, healthy taste to it. And, um, it's gotten me almost completely off of coffee. Sometimes if I want a a little more bump, I'll put the mud in the coffee, but I drink it every single day now. And I'm doing a, um, a pretty sweet thing. That was Shane's idea that I just added to my website, kyle.surf that you can go check out. So you can go to the website, Kyle.surf, and I'm going to sell these gift boxes where I have mud water, Santa Cruz Medicinals um, CBD cocoa oil, which I can put, which you can put in the mud water, as well as a signed copy of the book Blue Mind by Wallace J. Nichols, which is an amazing book. Um, and Jay has been on this podcast a couple times in the past. And I'm selling all these things for 50 bucks on the website. If you were to buy these items separately, it would be a retail value of $120. So you're getting this all for less than half the price. Just go to kyle.surf, scroll down a little ways, and you can buy the combo pack. With that, I'm going to introduce my guest today. Leo Flowers is a touring professional comedian. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. He's very motivational. He has a podcast called Before You Kill Yourself, which focuses on suicide and suicidal ideation something that Leo has struggled with in the past. And uh, he's a really great guy. He was also a comedian um, for the MOFAs. He represented PG&E, and he was so proud of all of the wildfires that they had created. Um, So without further ado, please welcome to the show, Leo Flowers. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. 
standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. serendipitous event getting you involved oh, with my, the motherfucker awards it's crazy because you know my, my friend was asking me like how i got involved in it and i was like it's really a long story because you know uh i do I perform at the comedy magic club and uh i know this guy alan havy this old white guy and me and him get breakfast together and then one day he invites me and then jake johansson is there who i have been actually like idolizing because he always murders it on his uh, late night stand-up sets. He was on David Letterman like, I don't know, four or five times. And wasn't he on there like 35 times? Like I, he has I, a he has a uh, stat where he's been on Letterman more than anyone oh, else. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Well, wh- whatever it is, I just remember being like, God, because I want to be on Letterman because I went to Ball State and Letterman went to Ball State. What's Ball State? Ball State University in uh, Muncie, Indiana. Okay. And and so Letterman has this scholarship set up for people who have uh, a C average. So if you have an A or B, you can't get the scholarship. You have to have a C because that's what Letterman graduated with. Um, and so like I was like, I want to be on the show. I want to be on the show. And so I was always following Jake's, uh, you know, every time he performed on it because his was great. But anyway, so Jake is at at breakfast one day with me and Alan Havy. And so me and him hit it off and then me and Jake start having breakfast together. And then Jake is like, yo, Leo, can you open for me at the improv? And I was like, sure, you know. And then that's where you saw me. And then, you yeah. know, which led to the the MoFo Awards. Yeah, so. Chris Ryan and I went, because Chris is friends with Jake. Right. They've been longtime buddies. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we saw you up there and your whole set, I won't give it away, but it's, it's all about how you're lazy. Right, right. And, and yeah. how you're proud of being lazy. <laughs> yeah. And Chris was like, you are preaching to the choir, my man. Like, so his whole thing is about, like his life motto is, the less you try, the better you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so then we saw you and we we're like, man, that guy has really good energy and we need a, a comic. And we're like, but we're going to give him the PG&E role, which is... The company that did the most to turn Earth into a mm-hmm. post-apocalyptic hellscape. Mm-hmm. They were responsible for 17 of the last 21 California wildfires right. due to unmaintained power lines. And we were like, that's a that's a tough one because that's an issue that's close to home. It's not like plastic pollution where it kind of goes away and you're educating people about an issue that they may not know about. Right. People's houses were burning down three weeks ago. And yeah. we were we were concerned that there wasn't enough time between the tragedy that someone could make it funny. Absolutely, especially you know it's like because it could get it could feel really mean doing it too soon and like oh man like it would be like doing nine eleven jokes the day after right nine eleven it's like I don't care how funny it is it's like there are people they're still searching for bodies right like and even with the wildfires it's like there are people still like trying to piece their life together. It's probably going to take them maybe years in some cases, depending on what their situation was beforehand. And, uh, but you know, my part of my comedy too, is like, I love the, uh, to me, the art of comedy is how do you say what people aren't willing to say and, but then getting them on board with it, you know, it's like, I want you to say no and then say yes. Right. I want you to be like, no, don't talk about that. And they're like, all right, keep going. It's <laughs> yeah, funny. All right, yeah, that yeah. works. I'm on board. Right. And so you you kind of saw that with, 
uh, even when I when I when I went up to accept the PG and E award, when I was singing the song "The Hills Are on Fire," you could feel the audience like, "Wait, what?" You know, and then they were like, "Oh, okay," and then they, they were just like, "We're on board now." But I, I love to get a no first, actually, and then and then get the the yes because right. the yes is so much stronger than. Well, it shows that you're putting out a dangerous premise yeah absolutely. like if you just get a yes that's just vanilla and easy and there's no threat to it yeah it's like it's like a workout that's not that satisfying right You're it's like, not I, fun yeah i did it but it was <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of got there it wasn't right, really good right. but if you're like oh yeah. shit here we go right <laughs> right and the, oh man i mean that because chris and i were we were backstage at the beginning of the show and we were like, is this going to work? Like, yeah. we set this whole thing up, but... Um, I know, because the screen went out at one point. The screen went oh. out at the beginning, <laughs> and Ron Finley was the, the gangster gardener, came out at the beginning, he was like, oh, you're going to do it to the black guy. <laughs> he <was> like, yes, <laughs> Ron, yes. Yeah, just Nailed owning it, it yeah. These motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then the, the comics started going out, and every one of the comics said after the fact that they were really nervous mm. and oh yeah i was at first surprised because you're all professional comedians mm-hmm. but then i realized that you didn't have the luxury of testing out any Absolutely. of that material because right. it's a different format yeah. that we assigned you to right and it's a different voice you know like i'm not going up as that character you know either so and, and you know i was like trying to test it out on on my friends, my clients and stuff. And they're just looking at me with the stone face and I'm like, oh my God. That's is not this- funny. But no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fucked up, man. People lost their homes. Yeah. <laughs> People died. Yeah. Yeah, but like, it made the oh sunsets better. I know, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> like we're going to be paperless in 2020. Right. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was nerve wracking. Like, I don't think I slept. Like you, you saw, like I was sending you text messages at like <laughs> yeah. midnight yeah. of like, what do you think about this? Yeah. What do you think about this? And I was like, man, I might get fired before this thing even, uh, before the show even starts. Like this guy's a psychopath. And, but you know, like I really like, you know, when you watch, uh, uh, Steve Jobs documentaries or documentaries about like any of the great leaders or anybody who's done anything great, like they're kind of psychotic and they don't sleep and they're, they're very obsessive and relentless. And, and, uh, and I've always been afraid to be that. And I realized like, that's who I am. And I only want people on my team who, um, understand that, you Hmm, know what what I mean? mean? Meaning like, like, so like I have like a social media guy and I have, uh, some other people who, uh, that, that work for me that do stuff for me. And when I was hiring, I'm like, man, you know, because I, I know I'm crazy. Like, like I'll be up in, at 2 a.m. working on something and I'll send you an email and a text message and I'll, I'll expect like a reply back. You right. know, like, <laughs> like I don't get mad if it's you don't. It's been 11 minutes, yeah, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Oh, I did the same <laughs> thing so, producing this show. Yeah. I was like, I texted him seven minutes ago. Yeah. Well, I haven't heard back. <laughs> so it's like, but, you know, some people are like that turns some people off and they're like, I don't like, are you crazy? Like, like I'm, I was sleeping and I was like, well, if that's too late for you, then we can't work together because this is how I work. You right. know what I mean? Right. And so that's what I mean. Like you just have to like show up as yourself. And then the people who understand that will stay with you. And the people who don't won't stay with you. And then you don't have to apologize. You can just, you know, move, move forward right. fast, you know? Well, yeah. Well, you know, it's one thing that's interesting that I'm thinking about just now is, is that comedians are, 
crazy right. and so are CEOs. Oh, for sure. In different ways. Mm-hmm. Like c- CEOs thrive in a sociopathic environment because they're the heads of these corporations that are doing as much as possible, the ones that we picked, to externalize all the costs and burden society with those. Yes. Right? And they're streamlined like sharks to figure out how to cut all of those costs as much as possible and make as much profit as possible in a, in a strange way. And, uh, comedians are, are crazy, but in a, in a different way, it's almost like flipped. Like they see and feel humanity on the opposite end of the spectrum. But it's like, uh, you know, people, it's like, uh, Evangelical Christians and ISIS have more in common than they oh, think absolutely, they do. Absolutely, absolutely. Because you, you in order to uh, achieve the things you want to do, you you have to do some things you don't want to do. You know what I mean? It's like, it, yeah, it's it, uh, it's like Thomas Edison. You know, did all these great things, and I was just reading about like John D. Rockefeller and all these different titans. But in order for them to to like be a, in order to be a billionaire, bodies have to be buried. Right, that's the only way you get to a billion dollars. Yeah. That like like I'm from Chicago. Chicago is one of the greatest cities in the world, and it's only because there's so many bones and bodies buried. You know, in the lake and uh, you know up under the side. Like we're just walking on the the work and efforts of people who've been trampled on in order to build this. You look at the pyramids, the pyramids are the one of the greatest things, but how many people had to die in order to build those pyramids? So when you look at empires, when you look at corporations, like there's collateral damage. And it sucks to call people that, but that's what it is. Even like in stand up, you look at like a lot of great stand up comedians, like the things you have to do, the birthdays you have to miss, the holidays, the phone calls you don't return from loved ones, the the amount of focus you have to have to like be on a road and 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 really they sacrifice really a part sacrifice. Of yeah, you have to, you know, like there, there are times where like I just shut down from people and I'm not. Um, I'm not, you know, like I get in an Uber and I love talking to Uber drivers, but there's like, there's a, there's times where like I'm in work mode and the guy's trying to talk to me and I'm like, I'm like, I just shut him down. I'm like, we're, I, I'm, I'm focused. So I can't talk to you right now. Like, right. I'm in a, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like, you don't want to be like that, but you have to be like that because I'm so focused on the material and I can't lose the momentum. Like, because the muse doesn't stop by all the time. You know what I mean? So like when you get inspired, like there, you know how many movies I've walked out of because I've been inspired by something I saw in the movie. And I was like, I got to go write this down. I got to go do something with this right now. or I'm going to lose it. And my friends get, they're like, you know, and I I spent like 20, 15, $20 for the ticket, but I I gotta like, yeah, well, yeah, you need it. It's like, uh, that's the jump start. That yeah, you know absolutely. can go into something brilliant, yeah, and if absolutely. you and if you lose that point of entry, then nothing works. But if you get you know, like your your premise around being lazy and, yeah. and being proud of it, right? Like you went on that for ten minutes, yeah. And yeah. it's it wasn't just like oh this is one joke, right? But it not, was a, right. It's not a joke. It's clearly something I'm passionate right, about, yeah. Right, and it seems like it's not so much that like the joke gets you out of the movie, but it's like a premise that you know has a lot of different points that you'll yeah. be able to hit. Yeah. And I, I understand that excitement, like that feeling when yeah. you get it and you, there, there's this, 
it's like a, uh, uh, it's just a weird frequency that's, it's really fun, man. It, and you, you know, you got, it's like you surf. So yep. it's like, you know, these waves aren't going to be like this right. forever. So you got to like, you got to get there exactly. now. That's it. I mean, we, yeah, as a surfer, man, I spend weeks chasing seconds. Yeah. yeah. Like weeks <laughs> flying around. Dude, and that's a great log line. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's for real, man. And if you get a five second barrel where you're inside the tube, yeah. that makes the whole trip. And oh. if you get a 10 second barrel, that makes your life. Yeah. And you spend weeks scouring Google Earth, figuring out where these waves are going to be. And, you know, if a swell comes from 298 northwest off the Kamchatka Peninsula and it hits this reef on a low tide and there's east winds, I think that this is going to be an incredible wave and there's going to be no one there. Wow. I mean, it's like constantly trying to figure out these combinations in your mind. So you guys are like... um uh, like, uh, like, not what? What is it? Uh, what are the weather people? Yeah, we're not uh, the meteorologists. Weather, yeah, meteorologists. Yeah, we're, we're meteorologists. Wow. And then, do you use anything else like astrology? Is like, what are the other? You use um, swell patterns. Mm. Uh, so there's a website that uh, I use. It's called Surfline. There's another one called Storm Surf, where you can look at these big storms forming in the middle of the ocean. And certain times a year, storms come from different areas in the world. So right now we're in the winter time. We get these big northwest swells that come off of the Aleutian Islands, the Kamchatka Peninsula, and it's all it's because these storms form. They start tracking down, mm. and you know, it's a, it's a good way to um, understand swells is uh, swell models is a lot like sound models. Like if I go, ah, the there's energy from my voice moving up and down. Gotcha. It's oscillating. Like and the sonar, thing, like what, wait, exactly. wait, whales. Yeah. I mean, wh whales, if, if there's a whale in Monterey Bay, uh, you, and it makes a sound. You can hear that all the way up until Oregon, because sound, because because water is such a good uh, conduit for energy to move. So these uh, storms start and they then don't turn into waves until they hit some kind of obstruction. So that's mm -hmm. the bottom contours of the ocean. Mm -hmm. It's called the bathymetry mm -hmm. and that's what makes a wave. So there's energy coming and just like a sound wave where I'm yelling down the hall, it won't stop until there's some kind of obstruction. So the whole uh, kind of science of waves and chasing waves is figuring out the perfect angle for that s swell to hit the reef gotcha. and then make sure that the local wind patterns are going to groom the wave to make it really smooth for you to ride down and make sure that the tide is going to be right also because if the tide is six feet higher it's going to break over the reef in a different kind of way than if the tide is low you know what's fascinating about that is you know because like you said like the, the way that you you want to hit uh is it started from like miles away in terms of oh the, halfway around the world right halfway I mean, if, around if the you world, look at right? a wave down here in marina del rey yeah um th and it's a big wave mm -hmm. uh it maybe traveled from new zealand wow yeah and you see and that's why i always recommend if you go down to the beach wait for 15 minutes before you go in the water because it could look flat and then 15 minutes later this big wave that came all the way from new zealand Wow. crashes and those are those horror stories that you hear oh my god it didn't look very big and then this huge wave came in it's because they're traveling from really far away you know uh, the and where my mind goes because i have a background in psychology is you know like when people get in arguments they they the argument f blows up because they're arguing about 
like the moment of like whatever you know the other person got upset about but they don't realize like that argument started halfway around the world right you know what i'm saying like and they and they never uncover or peel back the layers of what this argument is really about it's a great metaphor you know what i mean and it's like this shit started in new zealand yeah it didn't, it didn't like this like you're trying to fight the wave but we got to go yeah and know. new zealand is your Problems with mom, the, right? Problems <laughs> with mom, um, or, or just usually for most people, it's just like fear or or trust. Like, you know, me and my ex we went to couples therapy, which I recommend to anybody, even if you're in a great relationship. Just yeah, I do learn. that with my girlfriend. Do you too. really? Was, oh my god, it was amazing. What? Uh, wait. So now I have questions. Like, sure. how long? Wait, how long you and your girl been together? Uh, five years. Five years. Yeah. And then did you guys start going to couples therapy in the beginning or was it? No, we started going about a year ago. Okay. And uh, it was because our buddy who we really respect recommended it. And he had a good relationship with his girlfriend. And he said, man, it just takes the whole, it takes it to the next level. Wow. Um, because you stop talking past each other. And there's the time. It's It's kind of like a podcast in the way that it provides this period of time where you can go really deep and there's no distractions and there's a moderator where any places where in a conversation that you, that would create conflict, um, the moderator, which, which is the therapist can help you move through past those, those moments of difficulty without, um, you shutting down or them shutting down. It's like, how do you, how do you surf the wave without crashing or being overtaken by that kind of thing? Right. And and I think a big part of it too is, is constant. What the therapist did was, um, constantly re-identify the intention that each person had in it. Like, look, like you and I both want this to work and we want it to be great. Mm-hmm. So let's keep remembering that and not that we have malicious intent towards each other. And I think that intent is where a lot of, um, and not thinking about the other person's intent is where a lot of relationships, um, take a shit. Yeah. Cause you, you start thinking like, uh, you know, you think the person's out to get you or to make you look bad or, you know, you just always are assuming like they're up to like, you know, uh, uh, they have ill intent, yeah, basically. Malign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what, so how do you, like, what, what, what are some communication strategies or techniques that you learn that you incorporate into how you. The love languages, man. Uh, how so? Like, uh, my girlfriend loves touch, loves like the, hey, like, come home, kiss, hug, how you doing? Yeah. Like, th- setting up that. Whereas for me, it's like, it doesn't matter as much for me. It just doesn't, it's not part of my right, right. thing. So, so just recognizing that different things make uh, different people feel more or less loved mm. and that your love language might not be necessarily the same as mine. Right. Mind blower to me. I was like, oh, oh, crazy. Like that, a high five won't do it when I yeah. walk through the door. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. All right. Good to know. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And then you, sh- you sh- change a few of those things. It's like, you know, changing your diet a little bit. You, you cut out a, f- a, s- a couple foods, add a little bit of exercise, and then you notice these huge shifts. Mm. And then all of a sudden, and shit gets really interesting, you know, and those, those points that those walls that you, that, I mean, that we were running up against all of a sudden 
break through and it's really fun and you, you fall more deeply in love with your partner and that shit's cool man i i think that a big issue that we have in society today is the amount of options that we have uh in partnerships relationships so as soon as we hit any of those sticking points we just move on and swap it out for a new model but as a result we don't learn about ourselves we don't move through any of those periods of difficulty and uh i think that people who whether or not you're in a good relationship man like it it can just a few therapy sessions i think can provide people with the tools to move to to make their relationship a lot better i i completely agree it's uh tools is is a key thing because I realize like, you know, because people think that, oh, I'm an adult. So two adults should know how to work it out and know how to communicate. But really, like if you depends on how you grew up also. Right. Because if you're I grew up in a single parent home and my dad wasn't around, really. So the only person that I was communicating with was uh, my mom or my younger sister. And, you know, and when you're communicating with your parent, your mom there's like a hierarchy in that communication, right? Where it's kind of like you're the, the, the submissive base, you know what I'm saying? Like you're not on equal playing fields. So, and then as a result, I didn't get a chance to witness two adults uh, resolving conflict. That's what couples therapy pointed out to me that I didn't realize. She said, like, like I saw my mom be either angry or she was cool. She was either at zero or a hundred. I never saw the nuances of how you get from a hundred to zero or zero to a hundred, which um, is the benefit of having two parents in a house if they're if they're having a healthy conversation. So I realized, like in my relationships, I was either at zero or a hundred. We we're either cool or we were like exploding. <laughs> yeah. And she was like resolving so you, with hate sex. Absolutely, <laughs> that's exactly what was happening. And, and and never exploring the, the nuances of communication, of relationships. And so now what I've learned to adopt into my uh, vocabulary are words like that hurt me, like to say hurt, uh, that bothers me, or I'm uncomfortable. And those are words that I've never used in my life. Yeah. Like hurt, like I'm a grown <laughs> man. Like, you I don't know, get man, hurt, I work yeah, out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm right. good. Don't even worry about that. It's all right, I'm, you know, I'm fine or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm not good, you know? And so to, to get, to be more comfortable with expressing the subtle nuances of, because, you know, most of us just walk around saying, I'm pissed or I'm angry or I'm fine or, and I'm yeah, good. Fuck that but guy. yeah, but nobody's ever like, uh, like yesterday I was talking to a friend and she was, uh, she's from Japan and her, her English is very limited. And, uh, and she just started taking Toastmasters and she said she had been wanting to take it, but she was intimidated. And I was like, wow. I felt intimidated, but I've never said I was intimidated. And that's just another layer of feeling and emotion that, you know, um, society tells me that is unacceptable. But then as a result, my only two options are zero or 100. You know what I mean? Right. And so uh, couples therapy is really giving me the made me feel uh, or giving me the permission or, or, you know, to to express those subtle nuances and like, oh, that didn't piss me off, but that just really hurt. Yeah. Or that just really bothers me when you say or do that or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I like the word that you just used there, permission. I think that most people know how to do it 
whether it's be funny or be vulnerable, um, but they don't feel the permission to do it. Like how many funny people do you know who just don't feel the permission to do it in their work environment? Absolutely. But you know, they're funny when they're uh, anyone who's ever cracked a joke around friends has the potential to be funny. You have just given yourself the permission and you've worked your ass off to get good, to be able to be funny around anyone. Right. Like similarly, you know, with being vulnerable in a relationship, using words like that hurt me people, you feel it, you feel it. You just didn't feel permission to use words to it because you are operating under a false premise, which is if I'm vulnerable, that makes me weak. And, and, you know, experiences showed you like when you, when you, when you are vulnerable that, you know, people will try to take advantage of it. So, cause then you look back at the times where you cried or the times where, uh, you showed a little quote unquote weakness or vulnerability and then people, you know, either somebody called you a name or told you to man up or stop crying yeah. or whatever. Did you have a lot of that growing up? Uh, I wouldn't say a lot of it, but you also pick up how people communicate with other people who show weakness. And then you have movies and television. And, you know, those are filled with nothing but images of you got to man up. You got to toughen up. You can't let anybody see you weak. Never let them see you cry. Big boys don't cry. All these messages that really are destroying relationships are not even allowing them to flourish. Like, I can't cry. Like, I can't show, you know, like, and and it's interesting because when you look at young boys before they're really socialized, they're probably more emotional than girls. Like when I look at young, they're just so just like they're flailing about, they're crying, they they're complaining, they're just stomping about, they're you know they're just all over the place. And then at some point, we we do something to like just um, you know uh, harden them. And then you know society, as you're growing up, tells you to be this man to to be tough and rough. And then you get in a relationship, and and then she's asking you to to be the opposite, <laughs> and you're like. Uh, sorry, uh, 20, 40 years of conditioning won't allow me to. Yeah. Or even one person who tells you that you're not funny or you're stupid right. at the wrong age. Absolutely. You know, I, like I, uh, I have a buddy whose girlfriend was, was telling him recently, like, oh, I just don't have anything to offer. Mm-hmm. I, like when I'm in the room, like, I just don't feel like people like me and I'm, and he's like, who told you that? Like mm-hmm. who, and, and who? I like to ask myself that question a lot. If I'm afraid to do something, I ask myself, who am I afraid of? Like, who's the person? Is it that Leah Flowers is in the audience and I feel nervous that he's going to call me a fag or, Mm -hmm. you know, or is it that like, because usually it comes back to one person and maybe that person was in fifth grade and it was Joey who called you a name and then you as a result, just you hardened as a person and you didn't feel permission to be funny anymore. And it's, I think it's a great gift to be able to open that door for people again. Yeah. Because when you're a kid, like the world really is your oyster, right? You're you're when you think about all the dreams you had as, as a kid, like to be a queen or or a king or uh, um, an athlete or uh, a, a dancer, like whatever your dream was, 
as a kid like it was it was insane i want to be an astronaut i want to be a fireman i want to be like a pro uh football player and so like you're, you're and nobody when you're a kid is like no no you can't be that they're like yeah you should aim for the stars you know yeah. and then as you get a little older slowly people start telling you well you know that's gonna take so many years of school and you know you really don't have experience that way and have you really thought about this and then you have to move here and what right. about your friends here it's like all these reasons you shouldn't do it yeah versus just like yeah. hell yeah right yeah I, I mean i go back and forth on this because i think that it's good to dream big in one aspect but on the other hand america tells you that if you aren't famous that you're not good enough right you got to get rich you got to get a bunch of instagram (laughs) followers and if you don't have that you are less than human right and going back to your premise when i saw you uh your first stand-up is that it's okay not to be great yeah like it's it's okay to give 70 percent and that's good enough yeah and I like that because we're not all going to be astronauts, nah. but you still deserve to be here. Absolutely. Because the, the, to me, the main premise is, is not so much like give 70%. It's like really get to the, the source of what you're trying to accomplish, right? So like in a, in a, in a stand-up, an example I gave was like guitar lessons, like, why do I really want to learn how to play the guitar? I really just, I really just want women to be like, oh my god, he can play the guitar. <laughs> like it's really just to get women, you know, or to, or like to be at a party and have people. Like I really love to entertain people, and I'm like, okay, so I don't need to learn how to play a million songs. If I just learn how to play two songs, after that, people will be, they'll be satisfied, <laughs> you know. Get yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be, I don't want to be performing all night. I just want to like just play a couple and then. You know, oh, that was really cute. And then move on. So it's like really get to there's so many people who want to write a book, but they but they 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 go, well, I can't write a book. And I'm like, well, my, my thinking is, well, can you write a word? Yes. Oh, can you write a sentence? Yes. Can you write a paragraph? Yes. Well, if you can, can you write a page? Yes. So you just keep stringing together does it have to be 600 pages or 700 does it have to be to kill a mockingbird no why do you really want to write the book well because i just had the story i want to tell then just tell the story story, and and so but what people do is and and what what, you know my stand-up is really about is like when people think about doing something they always compare it to the ump degree like new york times bestseller will it be that and it's like but that's not really where where you where your what your motivation is your motivation is you have this story you want to you want to share and you want maybe like your your child to to have something to to remember your you know like my friend sent me a book that her grandmother wrote and her grandmother it was this cute little book about her life and there was no you know it was nothing big you know it was just her, her life story and she just wanted to have something for her family to read you know to to know like how she grew up and stuff like that so the the potent lazy ambition is like to recognize your own ambition not not everybody else's because to the outside world what you're doing could be lazy or uh under underwhelming but but that's because they're comparing it to New York Times bestseller or 
um, you know, the pro athletes of the world are, are like the top podcast or the best surfer. And it's like, that's not what I got in it for. Right. I got in it for for this one person or I got in it for just to experiment and try something different. And so it's like the the it, people who a lot of people like a lot of people at the top a lot of people at the top are miserable. They're too. miserable because they because they got there coming from the wrong place. Some of those people are at the top because of fear. Right. Like they're afraid of what other people think of them. So they work really hard to kind of prove that, well, I'm the CEO and I went to Harvard and I'm married with three kids. So now now what? Like I'm the best, but they don't want any of it. Right. And that is what gives way to sociopathic. tendencies. Absolutely. And you put one of those people at the helm of you know, a company like Purdue Pharma, which yeah. was one of the winners uh, that won the Spirit Award yes. for outstanding efforts to break the human spirit. Yeah. And then a company like that is willing to go on a marketing campaign, which they did, claiming that Oxy, Oxycontin oh. wasn't addictive um, and they obscured that data uh, so that they could sell more. And now we wind up with the opioid epidemic. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's... Partly, you know, it's the result of the structure of a corporation, of a, a, a publicly traded corporation where these um, shareholders are are obligated to make as much profit as possible. Absolutely. And it partly, I bet, comes from people who are in a, a position of power and they're trying to get more because they don't feel good enough. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, do you like, why would you want to do that? If you, why would you want to be there if you felt okay about yourself? Absolutely. Yeah, it's like, do you need 20 more million dollars? Yeah. Do you need a hundred billion dollars? And, but to them, it's, they're just like, now the only person here's what's fascinating is uh Warren Buffett. Cause I was like, does he need more money? Why is he, you know, keep doing this. And he said he just loves to watch things grow. And I go, you know what? That's why he's been able to do it as long as he has and as consistently as he has. And um, it's seemingly uh, it's very balanced. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like when I hear him in interviews, when I read his books, I don't feel like there's this ill intent. I just feel like he really just enjoys. It's like a farmer. It's like you just w love watching things grow Why people have children. And, and so I was like, I understand it from that perspective versus I want to conquer the world and I want to do people in and, you know, like. Right. No, I got no problem yeah. with people who want to make money. It's, right. it's about uh, people who are willing to externalize the costs. Absolutely. Right. And you right. can take that into a relationship as well, man. Mm. People who wants, you know, they want to have a girlfriend who looks super hot so people will think that they're the man and they have a horrible relationship at home absolutely like it's like your external it's i that tr always fucking mind boggles me when people will get a girlfriend for looks and i'm like yeah it's probably fun fucking but you do that like 001 percent <laughs> of the time you know you also need to drive in a car with them oh but yeah that's the it's like when i think about uh, like I know someone who has a, a girlfriend. <laughs> I know someone who has a girlfriend. She's she's um, from a, a country in Southeast Asia. She's like amazingly gorgeous, but they don't speak the same language. <laughs> she's like, yeah, we kind of get it. Like she kind of gets it, but bro, she's so hot. She's, you need to tell me, yeah. 
but you can't talk to each other. That's so crazy to me, dog. It's like if I can't sit next to you on a flight, then we're that's to me, that's how I think of every relate. Like, is this someone I can sit next to on a flight to like Pakistan or something? Because that's where you find out the the drive to Vegas, that and back. Oh man, that's destroyed a million relationships. Yeah, you know, Nelson is an interesting one though. It's like you want someone who you can talk to. But you also want someone who you can be uh, quiet with also. Absolutely. You ever notice that they're, uh, like, I feel this. Like, if I'm uncomfortable around someone, I'll feel the need to constantly keep the conversation going. Whereas it's a good uh, gauge for comfort is if I feel okay being in the car with them and neither of us are talking. Yeah, and there's no are, radio, there's no farts. podcast, there's nothing. Right. That just, you could just be. So I got a question for you, man. Yes, you... If I didn't know better, I would think that you were an earnest, you know, public speaker who's like you're you're very healthy mm-hmm. in like and you are psychologically working to be like lead a more well-balanced life, but you're also really funny. And that uh seems rare as a comedian. Um I well I I think it's becoming more um common as because you know like the, the stereotypically comics back in the day like you look at those comics in the 80s and, and sam uh, kennison like sam and kennison prior like yeah. those guys were all doing drugs and coked out and things like that and i think more and more you see comedians today who are who are um um uh developing uh, that they're taking better, much better care of themselves. You got like Brian Callen, who you know, he, a guy like you know, he he measures his macros and micros, and uh, <laughs> you know, even Jake Johansson, right? you know, he eats and he trains, and and uh, you know, Eliza Schlesinger. Like a lot of a lot of modern day um, today's comics are taking much better the care of themselves um, and trying to lead a, like a more balanced, you know, because we've read all those books. We've, we read their bios and we've like, oh my God, like it, when you do drugs and party too much, it, it, it only lasts for so long, you know? So at some point you have to uh, balance out. But uh, yeah, I wasn't always like this. I, I, I was like when I was younger, I was always like a pretty, I've always loved food and I've always loved being active. So for me, it was never like, I need to do this. I was just that kid. Like I'd wake up and just run out the house and I had, I had no agenda. I was just like, I'm going to find something to do. Or I see somebody playing. I'm like, can I play with you? You know, like I was just that kid. Like, um, but at the same time, I was always also the kid that loved to sit and read. So I, I love to go out and play football and, and basketball and play sports, but I also love to learn. And I, and I love to just be quiet and by myself. So, um, and, and so, like, you know, I've been intentional about building my life around being physical and being intellectual. You know, Alexander the Great said, every man should have a sword in one hand and a book in the other. And I truly believe that. Like, you should know how to uh, move physically, right? You should know how to use your body. You should know how to... Uh, perform like you're a surfer, right? You know, and I, I personal train also, and I played sports. And but you should also know how to use your mind. You should also have a philosophy about why you're doing what you're doing, or else you can get 
off track very easily and they shouldn't be separate. I think a lot of people um, are struggling um, with their health because it's all compartmentalized. And so one is not feeding the other. When I think about my workout, I don't think it's just about like, oh, calories and how much, how long does does this magazine say I should work out? I think about my day. I think about what's the best workout for the day that I want to have today um, or the week or whatever. So it's always changing and evolving and I'm always personalizing it. Um, And then even, you know, what I eat, like the time, like, I haven't eaten yet today. I haven't eaten since uh, 6 p.m. yesterday. And I was like, I got the podcast at 11. I want to be sharp. So it helps a lot. It helps a lot. Not eating before podcasts. uh, Fasting. It's such a huge thing in terms of like your mind state and how you feel and your energy levels. People go, don't you get hungry? I go, yeah, I'm hungry. So I have to. So but that's energy. Hunger is, is energy. It's not just as physical thing that means that you need to stuff food down your mouth it means that you're that you are craving and you uh you desire something so what is it outside of food that you also desire i just you know also i'm hungry to have a great podcast and 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 to be like present and have the energy uh to to have the back and forth and 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 but i'm also hunger to achieve some of my goals you know i mean all of my sure. goals obviously so hunger is not just this physical thing it's an intellectual thing that that you can have also yeah you know? i started intermittent fasting uh, a few months ago and i i never experienced such an immediate sh- shift in energy level day 1 sleep like a baby yeah. man and when i sleep all this, boom yeah and all of a sudden I was sharper and I didn't have that lethargic feeling after a big breakfast in the morning. And I thought to myself, who taught me that breakfast is the most important meal of the day? And and it is, it's just about the time, right? right? So, because, you know, breakfast is like breaking your fast. And so that could be like today, I'll, I'll eat right after this and I'll have a huge breakfast like I'll eat like so like I usually cook like a pound of meat a day and then I'll just eat that throughout the day but I stopped eating about six I used to stop eating at eight but I found that that's too close to my bedtime and it interferes with my sleep so by not so by cutting my uh my last meal off at six if I if I go to bed at like 10 or 11 man I sleep so much better and I wake up feeling sharp and vascular, you know, yeah. like just ready to go. Yeah. Do you, uh, what do you do before you do stand up? Uh, in terms of food? Yeah. Uh, so routine, that, that, that varies. Um, like, so if I'm on a road, I'll, I, I try to stick to a high protein, high vegetable, lots of vegetables like Brussels sprouts, asparagus. Um, I don't, I'm not too much of a salad. Like I, I'll do salads, but I love vegetables. I need that fiber to move everything through. Um, and also, but it also satiates me. It makes me feel full. Um, but like, so usually there's two shows, like a seven and nine thirty, or a eight and ten, or ten thirty. And I will eat. Uh, I try to eat like no more than two hours before the show, two to three hours. Um, and then I'll work out before the show, right before, right before, but not nothing, nothing crazy because. You know, I've been I was trying to hack that. So talk about, you know, being lazy is like, 
what, how much should my workout be? It should it be 30 minutes or an hour so that when I hit the stage, like I hit the stage, what do you, you know do? what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but that varies. So usually I'll do like 30 minutes to an hour. I'd prefer to do an hour uh, workout and my workouts is just usually body weight. If there are weights involved, it'll be kettlebell. So I love to do kettlebell swings. Anything that gets my body moving dynamically. I don't like to do like bench pressing or arm curls. Those are very static. And I don't want to be static on stage. I want to feel fluid. So um, I, most of my, my, my workout is like, it's like a mix between uh, yoga and Pilates and then fuck um, i love pilates i love pilates it's so good man it's i so do that great. in santa cruz i get my ass yeah. kicked by a bunch of 40 year old yeah. women. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like just you're hold. 60 years old and damn girl <laughs> right what's your name like, i know right so hot it's so like, hot dude yeah. when you see older women yeah. just like in incredible shape and just holding that tank you're like all right i, I know I, a few of them listen to my podcast and yeah. i had i went to a pilates class and one looked at me and she said i'm not 60 I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was, it was a joke on the right, show. Right. Just generalizing, yeah. like, take it easy, lady. You're not the yeah. only one. Um, but the yeah. point is, you're hot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. So, so then I'll eat uh, in between shows. So usually it'll be uh, salmon and or and or like some type of uh, red meat. But usually it's going to be fish because it just digests easiest. Um, and uh and then that's it and then i might and then like on the last show like if it's a saturday or sunday i'll typically have like cheesecake or you know something sweet at the but it's after the last show on a weekend how long have you been doing stand-up almost 20 years wow yeah and did you get into it in chicago actually i started in los angeles i i had always been going to comedy shows as a kid and but never thought about doing it. And then when I went to college, I remember it was a talent show and this kid gets up on stage and I was like, man, I wonder how you do that, you know? And and then I saw Chris Rock's Bring the Pain. And he was the first comic. Like I said, I've been going to a lot of comedy shows as a kid back in Chicago. He was the first comic who I saw that not only was funny, but was saying something. And to me, I was like, oh, I can do that. Not that I could be, I wasn't thinking I could be as funny as Chris Rock, but I was like, I can be funny and be saying something. And that was the thing that, that was the impetus for me to be like, all right, let me try this out. What did you want to say? I, I didn't know what it was. But you but, wanted there to be some but, kind but, of But yeah, message. substance. Yeah, yeah. I, like to, to me, like, it's easy to be funny. Like a, a cat is funny, your kids are funny, your uncle's funny. But also want you to take something home with you. I also want you to rethink your ideas. I want you to have a conversation. Like to me, the best movies are the movies that spur conversation where you're talking about it or you can't wait to talk about it with somebody. Like, man, I just saw this movie and there was a scene where blah, blah, blah. Like, what'd you think about this? You know, like when I saw um, Nocturnal Animals, did you see that? It was no, a Tom Ford movie. And it was like this intense, and no spoilers, there was an intense opening scene. And I couldn't wait to talk to people about like, how would you have handled this? Like, what would you have done? It was just, uh, it was, it was a, to me, a really great movie, but definitely not for everybody. How long did it take uh, for your comedy to start working? Uh, to, honestly, pretty immediate. Like, I, not, and, but 
the, like the comedy I'm doing now is not what I was doing in the beginning. Like in the beginning, I was it's evolved it's changed so many different times in the beginning it was like i was doing black people shake hands like this white people shake hands like that and then i got into uh one-liners i was like my girlfriend says she needs more space so i pushed her out the car like it was just like dumb <laughs> it's just like <laughs> dumb jokes like that yeah and so now it's you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm like everything for me starts with the the idea i'm not looking for the funny I'm looking for an idea, a way of saying things that no one else has said it. And then how do I make that funny and entertaining, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it, but, but, but it's also to, to get people to say, I want people to say no. Like, I want people to cross their arms and disagree and then change their minds. You know, not all the time. You can't do an entire hour like that because that becomes like whatever. But you need to have like two or three of those in your hour set so that people walk away. Because I've seen so many comics who are hilarious and really funny and, you know, people falling out the chairs and then you really can't remember what they said. Or if you try to repeat it, it doesn't um, it doesn't work. It doesn't people just go they can't do your joke but for me it's like you can repeat my premise and people go oh yeah that's interesting so i'm looking for funny and fascinating I'm, you know that to me that's 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 the yeah the, the mission what was it like for you having the pg and e assignment for the motherfucker awards uh nerve-wracking like I, I wasn't i couldn't sleep i didn't like it was that's funny man it's out so of funny my, that it's completely out I, of my comfort zone. I love zone. that we could make comedians nervous. Yeah. I mean, because like you said, we couldn't test it. And if you did talk to it, other people, like they didn't get it. And because the awards hadn't been done before, there was no baseline. There was nothing to like, I love research, you know? So like when I, if like, if I, like say like I was performing at PG&E, like I could, I could look up, you know, their history and stuff like that. And, but, but you couldn't look up MoFo awards in the, in the past and see what's been this done what and what's e acceptable. Right. And, and this is what it's going to be. And, and this is the audience. That's, so you don't know what kind of audience is going to be there. You don't know the setup, the lighting. Am I holding a mic in my hand? Am I going to be standing at a podium? Like, like, so you don't, you know, nothing. And so then you just have to, you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to like, I, like in those situations where I don't know anything, I go, what's my, what's my lifeline? Like, what's the one thing that I can hold on to that's going to drive me through the whole thing? And then as soon as I thought of, I'm just going to be Rod Tidwell from Jerry Maguire. I was like, I, it's just about energy. I don't know anything else, but I, but I know that, um, I have to have a certain type of energy and it's either going to work or not work, but it's going to be fun. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I was like, this is going to be so much fun. It. Yeah, I'm going to own it. And, and even if I fall on my face, like, who cares? Like, you know, it's three minutes. People starving in Sri Lanka or, I mean, Detroit. Like, people starving here in L.A. too. Right. But it's like, you know, it, realizing the ridiculous of the ridiculousness of, like, I'm making a big deal about this. Because it's important, but not important at the same time. You know right. what I mean? I kept that through this whole process with Chris and I because it was stressful pulling this whole thing together. And there were a few times that I reminded myself that the, the Motherfucker Awards is the punchline to a joke. 
Like that's what it, the companies that fuck mother earth the hardest are motherfuckers. So you can't take it too seriously because this whole thing is just one big joke, joke. right? which kept a kind of levity in it. And, it, and there was then a point in it when we got you guys involved and we got the presenters involved and it felt like it was like the whole was greater than the sum of its parts at mm-hmm. that point. Like it wasn't our show anymore. It was everyone's show because you were all going to add your own unique flair to it. And even beyond you guys, the, the motion graphics guys were funny too. They're funny in their own way. Oh, though, man, the, the, the graphics and the, the trailers and the videos were amazing. It was so well done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, it was, um, yeah. And I, I, again, like the, you were playing with fire with your speech and it was a crowd favorite. Oh, so man. you you brought on like what was your process to come up with that because you you say you got nervous mm-hmm. you f- picked your character and what were the other decisions that you made before you got on stage well the, the you know and the other thing was to realize like I can't do this by myself right so to to then be like I'm gonna need help and and so the, the, I guess the one was energy right and then the other was. I just want to feel prepared because I don't you don't know really know if you're prepared or not. Like you can you can pack all the the, the first aid kits and the food and, and put all that on the boat before you set sail and you get your little compass and stuff. But at the end of the day, if Mother Nature wants you, she can have you. Like, I don't care how prepared and how, how long you've been, you know, like it, it's, you know, it could all just blow up in your face at any second. So I said, you know, the first thing was energy. Then the second thing was just, I want to feel prepared. So what, what would make me feel that way? You know, like, you know, what, how do I have to dress? How do I, you know, uh, how many writers do I need to have helping with this or just, you know, sharing ideas. And it was like 90% of the ideas that I got were just horrible idea or not horrible, but they weren't aligned with the, the voice that I had for the character that I wanted to play. Um, in case you guys are listening, you're all very funny. Just didn't anyway. (laughs) But, uh, and I said, you know, if I just feel prepared and it just feel overprepared and then when I get there, just to, then I don't have to think about it. It's just hit the stage. And because it was it was so much stuff that I other stuff I wanted to say, but that like that's just what emanated from me. And then I was like, all right, thank you. You know, good night. You know, just end with the arms up in the air. Yeah. It's like, how do you start and how do you finish? Right. And then just get off stage. And it's like because, I, you know. Because the other thing is, as a comic, you realize, like, nobody knows what you're supposed to say. Nobody knows what you have written down. They don't know that you didn't, you missed a joke or said this wrong or should have, whatever. So it's like, as long as you are just selling it, and it's because that's really what that's what it's about, right? It's like, I'm excited to receive this. I'm excited that I, I'm screwing over people. But um, but in my head, I'm not really I'm not. Come on. This is a good like what we're doing is amazing for you guys. This is great. And you should be thankful. And, and I can't <laughs> wait to do this again next year. And I hope to win the award. You know, yeah, it's like this is, this is an amazing yeah. thing. And I'm glad you guys are all here to witness this. And you could even feel in the audience didn't quite because I was talking about like, you know, 17 out of 21 of the last wildfires we're responsible for. And so when the audience hears that, they go, oh, but. 
you know, I was holding it an extra, an extra beat on some of those to remind the audience that, no, you're supposed to be laughing at this, not to be like, yeah. oh, and they were like, oh, yeah. And then you could see them like and next start year to, we hope to be responsible yeah, for all that's 21. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was just like, you know, you realize like it was much more about mindset, right? Like I'm here, I'm on stage. What are we going to do? What's going to make this fun? And then I'm always like to be memorable. How do you be, you know, how do you be, how do you be the person that the other people are talking about? Like, how do I separate myself? That was the other thing I thought about was when I looked at like, you know, Moshe Kasher and, uh, and, uh, Natasha Natasha Leggero and Brendan Walsh and and Jake Johansson and stuff like that. Like it was a part of intimidation because, you know, you know, you look at Natasha Leggero and Moshe Kasher's pedigree and, and they've done roast before and, um, uh, and, you know, Jake Johansson being on Letterman a million times. And I kind of felt like, you know, like I was like, you know, just <laughs> yeah. I was just coming up the rear. So I go, OK, how do I separate myself from these guys? Because I can't do what they do. Like I, I can't fight in that same arena. And so when you start, I, I think like for a lot of people, it's like. People spend so much energy trying to compete against someone else that they never really figure out what their lane is like where's their 90 percent? where where do they where do they shine what what are they bringing to the table what's their true value because they're just so focused on trying to beat or get ahead of that person and that's part of like then you're you playing know, their game right that's that's, a, that's lazy ambition too because an ambitious person to me is somebody who just wants to beat the other person and they want to be number one but uh, most often than not, you're fighting for something you don't even want. You just don't want that other person <laughs> right, to have it. Yeah. And now you've wasted your energy right. and time on something that you don't even want. But to everybody else from the outside in, it's like, oh, that's incredible. You you want a gold medal. That's great. Oh, you're the CEO. Oh, you dropped an album. That's amazing. But inside, you're just like, I don't even want this. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, because to you, like, to be number five or to be number six, that's a that's a loss because you think about how the people perceive it. But for you, that could be a, a win. Yeah, you know, you know the story of the guy who got kicked out of uh, this band when he was young, and then he went and started a, a, a heavy metal band called Megadeth, and they went on to sell mass amounts of albums. But he never became happy because the band he got kicked out of was Metallica. Yeah, <laughs> I heard about that, it, it, and it's like. Dude, like if you if you take time because and not to say that I don't feel like that also. Of course, there are moments where I I, I feel like regret or like I should have done this or I can't believe I walked away from that and that it would be this. But it's like if you if you take the time to show gratitude for what you have, like uh, I do this thing called Leo Talks on Instagram, and I, uh, I saw those. This is cool. Thank you, man. And I've been I've been doing it, and uh, I think I'm gonna do a book like every year, like Leo Talks 2018, 2019, whatever. Um, but I, I just put one out where I talk about everybody's like making their list for Christmas and thinking about like what do I want, what do I want to get, and it's like, but before you before you make that list. Like make a list of what you have, because really, how do you like? I used to work at Popeye's Fried Chicken, right? And, and, and you know, talk about people who are like, you know, uh, uh, dubious—is that the word? Um, 
you know, before you could order chicken, you, you had to order chicken every week and, and every month and order other products and cups and things like that. You had to take inventory. You had to see what you had first. How many chicken breasts do we have? How many chicken legs do we have? How many cups do we have? How many small cups? How many large cups? And then from that, you based your order off what you had, right? And a lot of people don't take inventory of what they have. They don't take inventory of their friends. They don't take inventory of their relationships. They don't take inventory of their finances. How much money do you really have when you when you put it all together? How much... How many connections have you really made? How, you know, how much do you really weigh? What's your body like? Like, what's your blood? Like, you know, so many people who start these diets and the first thing you should do is take inventory of your, uh, of your, uh, of your blood, get a blood sample to see what are you high in? What are you low in? And, and so you can adjust your, your diet to that, you know? Um, so take inventory first before you go asking for something. Because you may already have the thing that you're asking for. It's like, oh, it's right here, and you forgot about it. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You you got to ask those questions, and it feels really good when you. I always do a year end list mm. of everything that I accomplished in the last year. Yes. People I met, who I want to wow. stay in touch with. Yes. Shit feels good. It feels great. It feels so good. So great. It feels like so good to the point where I feel bad that it feels good <laughs> Wait, like, did, like like why did that work so well like god damn it those motherfuckers with their true quotes on instagram who told me about that gratitude journal and now i'm happy it's damn insane it. right like you're like gratitude like this yeah. thing gratitude you're like whatever and then you do it and you're like oh man you're on to something yeah, yeah. right <laughs> yeah <laughs> motherfuckers <laughs> but i hate the people who tell me to be grateful <laughs> Well, they told they told me to be grateful and gave me a charged crystal too. Yeah, damn it! <laughs> and now I'm not going to get rid of this charged crystal because the gratitude journal works. It, the power of your mind, man, is is so remarkable. When you look at a guy like um, uh, Nelson Mandela, right? So you go, man. I think he spent 25 years in prison, 25, 30, you know, something decades. I go, how does a guy like that, because he went in young, like in his 20s, how does he survive that mentally in prison, right? Separated, no family, no friends in, in South Africa, the heat, you know, our, our prisons suck, but I can't imagine what their prisons are like. And I, I read an article about like every day, he said no matter what, he would wake up, he would journal, he would exercise, he would read and he would uh, he would pray. And he goes, it's, a, it's a very important no matter what that you could create a daily routine for yourself. And so I took that. And so I do this daily thing called germs, J.E.R.M.S. It's journal, exercise, read, meditate, self-affirmations. And when you wake up and it gives your, your day a sense of purpose and it, it gives you a way to ground yourself and to give to yourself before you start giving to other people. Because so many people wake up and they immediately start doing for other people, whether they're getting ready for work, whether they're getting ready for their getting their kids ready or their spouse or whatever. And it's like, no, you have to be a little selfish, even if that means you have to wake up 10 minutes early or five or whatever and do some things 
for yourself so that you can really, it's like when a plane is going down, you put the mask on yourself first before you put it on your children. You don't put it on your children first. And so you have to think about life like that too. Like before you can really show up to your, to your day, to your work, to your family, to anybody else, you have to show up to yourself and ground yourself. And, and you got to poop. And you got to poop. You got to get, you got to get the big, uh, big dump in the morning, a huge dump, let it all out. You got to fart. You got to laugh. You got to just do these things that feed yourself first before you, before you feed anybody else. And I don't do it every morning, but when I feel like myself, like getting off track a little bit, um, I go, oh, okay, let me just, it, it gives me a tether. It, it, cause I, I could be Icarus. I could get real close to the sun sometimes, uh, you know, with my ideas and excitement for, for things. And I have to remind myself like, no, no, you have to, don't get too close to the sun, buddy, because it, you know, you, you go up in flames. What do you mean by that? Too close to the sun, meaning that. I know the story like, of Icarus with right. the wax so, wings. He so, you know, like sun. I, I excite very easily. Like I get a new idea and I want to do it all right now. And, and I could, and I could burn out from that because I, I get, get like very obsessive and, you know, stay like you saw that, like I said, like the text message and the emails I was sending. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I'll all stay up. Yeah. All caps. Yeah. <laughs> and so <I'll, laughs> these wildfires are making Instagram sunsets way yeah, better. Yeah. <laughs> Is that funny? <laughs> I think so. It all depends on how you deliver it, man. <laughs> so I could, I could get very much like that. And, and I have to like pull myself back in. So that I don't I don't get too close to the edge like, whoa, that's a beautiful sunset and then walk, you know, so close to it. So like, it, you know, you see this uh, with work, uh, people sometimes do it in relationships where you like you meet someone and you fall in love and then you start making your whole life about them. And then you completely lose track of your mission and who you are and, and what m- what value you were bringing to the relationship, but then you've come completely abandoned that because you're trying to make it all about them now. And you got too close to the sun. Like you got to know how to bring yourself back to who you are and what you value so that your life doesn't become imbalanced and you're not, because you could become very reactive. I could become very reactive to my ideas. I get, I get an idea and I, and I get obsessed over it. Then I get another one and I start chasing that. And I'm like this, dog just chasing you know balls and stuff like that so i have to like bring myself back and then and then break things down into practical manageable steps where i go i just need to do this one thing today right what uh do you think got you interested in therapy um you keep coming back to that a few times in the conversation i can tell you're really interested well i think part of it was my part of it was conditioning um and so like i said like it was my mom and then I have a, a sister who's four years younger. And so I, I was basically the only man in the house. And when you grow up the only man in the house, the only male in a house, right, you become everything to your mom. So I was my mom's son. I was her husband. I was her boyfriend. I was the, I was the fixer. I was, I was everything. I even like, I've had a job since I was nine. And anytime I got a check, I just bring it home and give it to my mom. So I was the provide, I was part provider, you know what I mean? And so my mom and my sister would get into these heated battles, these arguments. And I would literally like, I'd be 10 years old and I would have to sit them down at the table and be like, all right, we're going to work this out. 
And my mom would even say, wait till your brother gets home. We're going to figure this out. You know, like, so from a young age, I was, I was, I was everything that my mom didn't have and, but needed, you know what I mean? And so I was hyper aware of what was going on with my mom. And then I was hyper aware of what was going on with my sister and then navigating my way through that. You yeah, know what I mean? Sounds, sounds like you were walking on eggshells. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're walking on eggshells because you don't know, like, you know, if, how's mom going to come home? Is she? Ha- did you have a good day or a bad day? Um, you know, and then my sister was just, she's, you know, she's great. Like, me and her have an amazing relationship. But those two together, you didn't know what was going to, like, uh, you know, explode from that at, at any moment. Yeah, moms and daughters tend to have contentious relationships. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I learned very early on, like, how to, like, gauge a room, read people, and then adjust to that, you know, versus just always show. So I think part of what got me into stand-up is, like, it's an opportunity for me to just show up as me. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, you guys take it or leave it. Like, this is just, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. And like, for the most part, like, you know, I could just kind of walk around like absorbing energies and, st- you know, stuff like that. Um, but I think, but part of it's also genetic. Like, you know, I, th- I was, I feel like I was born like a, a, a highly like an empath. Like I really feel other people's emotions and to the point where, Sometimes, like, you know, I become like a dragon. I just, like, go in my cave and, you know, like, you won't see me for days. You know what I mean? To, like, I can... Um, you take a lot reset. in. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, it hurts to take it all in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good and... And here's the thing that I've I've recently learned. Good and bad. So, I could, even if I'm around a lot of good energy, great people, even that... Uh, wears on me like I, I, I you know I still need to separate myself from that and reset from that you know negative energy same thing so like you know I have a lot of my friends like they start their day watching the news and I'm like oh my god if I start the day watching the news like my day is done because 10 people have already died in a car accident so some <laughs> father killed his wife and I haven't even yeah, pooped yet I haven't yet. even pooped yet and we're a trillion dollars in debt and yeah. I got like $10 in my bank right. you know what I mean so it's like I can't <laughs> I can't absorb the day uh, that early and so like I just read I read the Sunday newspaper and that's and that's about it that's in terms of news and then in between there I'm reading books you know what I mean so like there's a um there's context for what's happening. That's the problem with a lot of news is you're, you're getting the news, you're getting the story, like you're getting the big wave, but you're not getting the context. You're not really getting you're not the, the history. Realizing the where it came from. Absolutely. Where, where the because they start. just want to sensationalize it. They want you to click on it. Right. They want you to be outraged. The whole point of news is to make you emotional and then just leave you there. It's like, you know, you know, these people are doing this and then, but then there's no plan of action. There's no like, here's what other people are doing to um, uh, mitigate it. Yeah. It, you know, there's just not a it's 360. Good for, yeah, it's good for ratings, Absolutely. but it doesn't model healthy adult communication. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So then people were walking around out like, you know, then talking to my friends. They're like, did you hear about what happened? And I'm like, yeah, but there's so many. So now what? You know, like, you know about it, you're outraged, but now what? And and so you're constantly stopping and starting because you're not, 
you know, it's like one thing to take it in and then say, now here's what I'm going to do about that or here's where I'm going to help that. But if you're just going to take it in and be outraged, like no wonder people are like on antidepressants and bipolar, like we're taking in so much and, and then feeling and then there's a sense of hopelessness. It's like all these companies are doing this and all these people are doing that. And then, and then, and then you're like, we're just talking about like, you know, with the Mofo Awards, those are just companies. And it, but then there's also governments and their countries and their continents and then their families that are you see what I'm saying like where do we where do we start and stop with this thing and then you then go asteroids right and then you go you know what what's on Netflix fuck it like yeah. you know like you 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 get oh you can get overwhelmed so it's like you know pick your thing and then just like so for me it's like um and I haven't uh published it yet it actually publishes uh monday december i think 10th i have a podcast called before you kill yourself and uh it's based that's on that's funny yeah right and so it's based on the idea of uh you know suicide rates like uh, like a million people globally kill themselves and this, every year every year wow and the the numbers of people who commit suicide are higher than the, all the wars and the homicide rates. So, you know, everybody's talking about like three people killed at a, at a school or at a bar. And yes, th- those are meaningful, but nobody, because it's not as sensational. Somebody killing themselves, that's not, that's not sensational because it's a very private thing. You know, somebody takes pills or they slit their wrists. It's not visual. It's, it doesn't inspire. It doesn't inspire anger. It doesn't get the the people. It's just kind of like a sad, like oh that's sad. Uh, sorry for that person. Yeah. And so before you kill yourself, is I was so uh, kind of a backstory. People, I've, I've experienced suicidal ideations throughout my, throughout my life, and part of it. I realize it's like playing football and like, um, you know, all the head trauma and things like that. And and I, I know other football players who have killed themselves. Rashawn Salam, Heisman Trophy winner, played for the Bears, kills himself. I'm like, how's a Heisman Trophy winner kill himself? And went pro. And, you know, uh, has money, good looking, family. You know, you look at... Um, uh, Anthony Bourdain, these people who have things that you think, oh, if I had that, I'd be happier or I'd be satisfied. And then you see people killing themselves who have the things that you think if you had. So you go, what's going on here? So I'm on a plane, right? Here's how I knew I should do this because I was thinking about doing a podcast. I'm on a plane and I'm talking to it with my buddy sitting next to me. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm thinking about doing this podcast before you kill yourself. And I was talking to him about it. And then this lady, two rows in front of me goes, you better not do that. And I was like, what? She's like, my son just killed himself. She's like, that's not funny. And and so I was like, what? And so for a second, I was like, maybe she's right. Like, I don't want to, like, you know, incite this type of outrage or whatever. And then she proceeds to tell me the story. Now, we're taxing on the tarmac. We had just landed, but, you know, we got in too early. And so this lady's so loud. Like, the whole plane is hearing what she's saying. And then she's like, you know, when I was young, I was going to kill myself. I was in a bathroom and I had a gun in my mouth. And then I heard my baby crying. <laughs> and it was because she heard her baby crying. She didn't blow her brain. She was like, oh, shit, I got a baby. And so, you know, takes care of her baby. Her baby then grows up to be nine years old, right? Nine-year-old boy. And at nine years old, her son says to her mom, 
The mom that was going to kill herself with the gun in her mouth says, when I turn 18, I'm going to kill myself. And when he turned 18, he blew his brains out. So she's saying all this on a plane, mind you. And then the husband's like tugging at her shirt, like sit down, you know, like (laughs) and but to me, what I took away from that is that it's so fragile. Your decision to live or die. She's in a bathroom with a gun in her mouth, about to pull the trigger, and then hears her baby crying. And she goes, oh, wait, I can't kill myself. I got to go take care of my baby. For most people, it's that thin, the, 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 the margins, right, of like if somebody just called you at the time you're about to blow your brains out or somebody said hello or gave you a hug or you remembered you had uh, clothes in a washing machine. Right. Something is. Re- so it's like, wait, wait, before you kill yourself, did you did you get milk? You know, like and it seems so ridiculous, but that's how frat is like. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't. Or did you call your mom? Yeah, that's did why you- suicide <laughs> hotlines are so important. It's so important. And so you, when you see how how fragile it is and it's something that you can't um, it's not something that you really get over. It's something you have to manage. And so, like, part of the language, I, I think part of the problem is, like, the language around it is, like, people go, I'm depressed or I'm suicidal. But a stronger, more empowering way to talk about it is to say, I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with suicidality. Because you're not depression. It's not who you are. It's a part of who you are. Yes, that's fine. Suicidal is a part of who you are, but you're also a million other things. So let's remind you of those million other things. And most people like I used to I have a master's in counseling psychology. So I used to counsel inmates and married couples. And I I had a client once who had attempted suicide three times already. And every time he did it, it was always when he was when a girl broke up with him. You know, and so when you look at people who attempt suicide and commit suicide, it's usually at a major transition like loss of a job, loss of a girlfriend, uh, loss of physical health. Like Robin Williams, like he was his health was deteriorating. He was like, I don't want to go out like this, which I understand that. But for most people, there are very manageable reasons of why you want to kill yourself. And it's like, Hold on, have we have we talked to a financial advisor? You know there are other girls out there, right? Like remember last time the girl broke up with you and then you found another girl. It's like to to buy them, it's about buying them time to allow them to detach, to zoom out. Cause when you're in it, like it it's you, you get so myopic, you get so focused on it, and you forget. That's why gratitude, you know, coming back to gratitude, that's why that becomes so important because you can easily forget how many great and wonderful things in life that you you uh, have and experiencing and that you're looking forward to. You're like, oh, yeah, that, you know, like that movie. Uh, I want to see Bad Boys three or four or I want to see like I have a nephew. He's nine years old. And I'm like, I want to see him grow. I want to see what this kid's going to be, man. He's kind of dope right now, you know, but you can forget that when you, if you have like a string of losses, you know, you have three, four losses. And then you just start thinking, man, I'm just a loser and I'm I'm never going to bounce back. And it's like, no, no, we can we can turn this ship around. And 
other people have experienced loss and they've turned it around, you know? Absolutely. I think that one thing that you're doing that's important is that you are shining a light on typically shameful issues. Absolutely. The reason why, another reason why suicide doesn't get as much attention as homicide is because there's shame around it. There's embarrassment. Same with the opioid epidemic. If a mother loses her kids to oxy, um, loses her kid to oxy, she doesn't want to tell her neighbors. She doesn't want to tell her community. Right. And the more that people like you can talk about this kind of stuff and talk about it in a funny way, absolutely. The more it brings levity to it, and the, and the more quickly these issues can be solved. It's so fascinating because the, it's less lonely. Absolutely. It's like oh, we're in it because that's the other thing is like you go oh, I'm not the only one feeling like this. And so because people don't really talk about the suicidal ideation, they feel like they're, because nobody's like, hey, are you you feel like killing yourself today? Like nobody's having that conversation. It's like, what did you eat? How's the weather? What'd you do this weekend? Blah, blah, blah. And, and, and by the way, it's okay to ask somebody if you think like, hey, do you feel like killing yourself? Because it goes back to permission, what we talked about earlier. It's like people want nothing more than the permission to express themselves. People have so many, so much they want to say and that they want to share, but they don't feel like they have the permission to share it. They don't want to be a burden. They don't want to bring down your day. And it's like, but because they're, but because you're holding back or they're holding back, your relationship doesn't really evolve. And it stays in this, it stays in these superficial terms of weather, food, uh, where'd you travel, all these things. And we never really get down to how did you feel when you did that? Like feelings, like how did that make you like when, when people tell me what they did, I always ask them like, how did you feel about that? Because you could do something that to me is super awesome, but maybe you didn't feel connected to it. You didn't feel, um, present. You didn't feel empowered by it, you know, for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. You got to enjoy it, man. That was, uh, good piece of advice I got during this whole thing um, with the MOFAs was that there's only one first one, so you better enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the punchline of a joke. (laughs) Hey, man, um, I want to wrap up, but uh, um, what do you, uh, any books you recommend to people? Oh, man. Seems like you're a big reader. Oh, my God. Man, what books? Okay. Um, I'm a huge Robert Greene fan. Yeah, the 50 Laws. 50, 48 Laws 40, of Power, right. 50th Law of uh, Fear. Um, so uh, I'll give you guys three books. One is I love uh, Mastery by Robert Greene because uh, it talks about not just how to uh, uh, be great at something, how to master something. Like I, I prefer the word mastery over greatness. Those are, to me, two, very two different uh, things. But you really want to master something, right? You want to master communication. You want to master being a parent. You want to master being a chef. Like, mastery. But Because it, it not only just talks about how to master something, but the, the social dynamics involved in mastering something, which is left out of a lot of conversations in that, in order for you to really master something, you also have to know how to work with people and communicate uh, communicate with people so that you can get your vision across, right? So people understand what you're saying. There's so many people who are talented, but they don't know how to communicate with other people, so they their visions never really um, come to fruition. Uh, so Mastery is one of those books. Um, another book that I really love is, oh, man, 
I love, well, I guess this is kind of if if mastery's too academic, Zen of the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. One of my favorite books is about this cross uh, country travel uh, father and son. Um, and the, the father's teaching his son life lessons as as they go along. So that to me is uh, another one. And then I give you guys a third one. Let me think about what. Uh, man, what's a what's a third book? I you know, I I really enjoyed uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin's biography. It was such a great book. Um, great story beginning to end. Um, and I just, I just love bios. Benjamin Franklin has a great bio, Alexander Graham Bell, great bio. Um, but also if you want to get heady, if you want something a little bit, one of my favorite new books is, uh, oh, okay, here we go. Sapiens by Yuval Navari and, uh, behave by Dr. Robert Sapolsky. And I'll tell you why for both of those. I know you asked me for a few books, but anyway. So Sapiens is a great book because you realize the importance of story. He said one of the reasons why mankind has been able to thrive as long as we have is because of our ability to tell stories. So money is a story. If if I have $100 American and then I'm in Africa, I can buy something with that $100 uh, because we both agree, we both, uh, are, we both agree to the same story of what a hundred dollars means, you know, in American, that's, you know, a certain amount, but in Africa, that's a, another amount, but it's still, they can, they know that they can do stuff with it. So they trust in the story. Same thing with religion, right? Like a Catholic from, uh, New Hampshire meets a Catholic from Ireland and because they're both Catholic and, and by this, they connect immediately. They connect a lot faster. Other animals don't have that. Like the, you know, monkeys don't have that. Ants don't have that. There's not a shared story. Yeah. So that's why we've been able to, to grow and be dominant is because of story. But we're also able to be dominant because of collaboration. We're the only species of animals that can work with other animals, with dogs, cats, camels, blah, blah, blah. Other species don't work with other animals to see their vision. So the idea of for you to get ahead that you have to be dominant and alpha is against what's really made mankind dominant, which has been community collaboration, working together and in our interconnectedness and telling stories. That's why it's important that if you, whatever your story is, you need to share that because there's somebody that can uh, relate to that. So that's Sapiens. And then this book called Behave by Dr. Robert Sapolsky is a great book for I think everybody should read this because it breaks down why you do what you do from all five levels. Why do you do why? You know, it's like if you're experiencing depression, why are you depressed from a chemical level, from a hormonal level? from um, a evolutionary level, from an environmental level, and then from a genetic level. So it covers your genes, your chemicals, your, your um, hormones, your environment, and, your, and evolutionarily, like why has, has depression served us uh, over time? So that you can zoom out of why you feel what you feel versus feeling like it's just you. It's like, no, this is part of the human evolution. 
This is part of our, this is part of the human story. So it's not just you. This is something that's been passed down. And so when you, when you give, it goes back to context. When you're able to give context to what you've, what you're experiencing and what you're going through and what society is going through, it makes you feel more locked in with everybody else versus separate and individual. Whoo, my right, man. So. <laughs> you nailed it. All right, where can people get in touch with you? Uh, just go to leoflowers.com. Um, it's not super updated, but it links to all of my social media. Uh, or if you're on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm going to start posting more stuff up there. But, uh, you know, stay, stay alert for my uh, Before You Kill Yourself podcast, even though it has a dark title. Um, it's going to be fun and lighthearted. The first 10 episodes are the, the beginning, so the sound is a little iffy. Bear with me. It, it's going to improve. And uh, I'm going to call my followers the painkillers because, like you know, that. half of America are on painkillers. And we forget that a hug is a painkiller. A laugh is a painkiller. Going for a walk is a painkiller. So all my, fo- you know, all my listeners are going to be painkillers, you know. Leo Flowers honored to have worked with you on this project and uh such a fun conversation thank you brother i appreciate you having me that's our show once again you can go to motherfuckerawards.com to check out the videos you can get some mud water some santa cruz medicinals cbd cocoa oil and a signed book of blue mind on my website kyle.surf for just 50 bucks head over there now and finally if you want to send me one of those groovy little voice memos you can do that on your phone just click record on your voice memos app say what's up tell me where you are how you doing give me some details about where you are in this moment right now and email to info at kyle.surf and with that i will see you all very very soon and i hope that you have a wonderful day
Flash up and up. 